2: If you're paying
1: too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
3: Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details.
0: Let me remind you right now, if you want to get the best cup of coffee of your life... Take advantage of Blackout Coffee and the 20% off your first order right now by going to blackoutcoffee.com slash verdict. It is a premium cup of coffee that you're going to love to drink each and every day. Without the woke agenda of many of the left coffee companies, you know the ones I'm talking about, and if you are not willing to settle for an average cup of coffee, I start my day early every day. I'm on the radio at 7 o'clock in the morning. I have got to make sure I have a really good cup of coffee in front of me, and that is why I love blackout coffee, and I want you to try it. The coffee's 100% America, 0% woke. Blackout Coffee committed to conservative values from the sourcing of the beans, to the roasting process, customer support, and shipping. They embody true American values and accept no compromise on taste or quality. Go to blackoutcoffee.com slash verdict. Use the promo code verdict. You'll get 20% off your first order. You're going to love it. I promise you, check them out. Blackoutcoffee.com slash verdict. Be awake, not woke with your dollars and your cup of coffee. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash verdict. 20% off your first order promo code verdict. Welcome to this verdict with Senator Ted Cruz, Ben Ferguson with you on a really fun live studio audience event, a retreat weekend, Senator, and you brought a friend with you as well who is going to be our special guest today.
2: Well, I am incredibly proud to welcome onto the verdict podcast a good friend of mine the 60th mayor of the city of Dallas, the current sitting mayor, Eric Johnson. And, and, and I wanna, Eric, welcome. Thank you so much.
3: I'm glad to be here, Senator. Thanks for
2: having me. Now I wanna tell our podcast listeners some of Eric's background because many of you may know him but some of you may not. Um, Eric is the current mayor of Dallas. Eric was, he went to Harvard College. I did. He went to University of Pennsylvania Law School. He got a master's from my alma mater, Princeton. It's true. Uh, he was elected to the Texas State Legislature, and he was an elected Democrat in the state legislature. And Eric is African-American. I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's an audio show, so, I, so, I, so, I, so one has yeah, that's to… It's true. That's true. We've got to paint the picture. <laughs> um, and I'm then Eric was elected… Mayor of the city of Dallas, again as a Democrat. And then he was just recently re-elected mayor of the city of Dallas. He was re-elected with 93% of the vote in the city of Dallas.
3: Technically 98.7, but (laughs) I'll take 93, we'll take 93. Uh,
2: And then after his re-election, Eric announced to the city of Dallas and the world that he was switching parties. And he left the Democrat Party, and he became a Republican. And it was, uh, it was a decision that those of us who knew him and had worked with him, I have to say, I, I was not shocked or surprised. Uh, but it did shock and surprise a lot of people. And, and, and so Eric is, I think, a very important leader in Texas and a very important leader in the country. And so, Eric, I appreciate your coming and, and, and joining us this evening and, and
3: being a guest on Verdict. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Thank you so much. This is a real honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And it's great to see all of you. All right. So you go to the Texas
2: State Legislature. You get elected mayor of Dallas. You get re-elected mayor of Dallas. Now, this entire time, you've been an elected Democrat. And as an elected Democrat, there's an yeah. ecosphere around you. You've got donors. You've got volunteers. You've got supporters um walk us through your decision making because switching parties a big deal and, and I'm, I I know you didn't yeah. make that decision lightly so so what what led you to change parties yeah and you know
3: I don't know if, if, how how deep we can dive into this. I would. It's Look, act- the the joy of a podcast I is we say, can go as deep as you that, want, that's and, actually, and that's that's, that's, actually, that's actually what's fun. That
2: we're not on TV with a six minute soundbite. We can actually talk about at. what's really going on.
3: That's exactly what I wanted to know because, um, unfortunately, because of the, the the structure of the traditional media, um, you really have to sort of hit that question quick and then get out of it, and you don't really get to give a full answer to that, because yeah. it's, it's way more complicated than, you know, there was this one thing that happened and I just said, I'm out of here. It, it, it's it's an evolution for me in, in just kind of coming to accept who I have always been and why I've struggled as a Democrat the whole time.
0: Was, but, it, the, was it the issues that made you think about becoming a Republican?
3: The, the issues were a manifestation, a policy manifestation of problems I had been having with the Democratic Party because of who I am as a person for a long time. So I'll give you I'll give you some idea of what I'm talking about. I was born in West Dallas, very poor community to working class parents who never went to college, but you know got married right out of high school, still married to this day, raised four of us, and I was raised in a community that was very, and in a family that was very, very faith-oriented. The church was hugely important to us. I mean, I grew up, I spent more time in church than really any place else. I mean, we'd go to church Sunday morning, stay almost all day, go home for just a couple hours and come back for Sunday evening. We'd go to Bible class on Wednesday. We'd have, you know, I wasn't in the choir because I couldn't sing, but you know, we had song practice and things like that. So. I spent a lot of time in the church, spent a lot of time um, with grandparents who were very, very, very about the Church of Christ and that's, how, that's the tradition I was, I was raised in. And so we were sort of taught, and it was, it was separate and apart from anything political. My family wasn't political at all. No politicians in the family. I'm not even sure we had a real awareness of what was going on around us politically but a very strong sense of just right, wrong. Um, you know, this is how you treat people. This is, this is how you behave. You follow the law. You obey the law. You work hard. You, you know, an honest day's work, honest day's pay. That sort of, That was just always in the background. And so I think I was always politically in a weird posture with the Democratic Party because at its core, and I didn't understand this at the very beginning, Because, and I, I hope we can actually get to this, and talk about this, There are some, you sort of inherit the Democratic Party as a cultural heirloom when you're African American in this country. Yep. It sort of gets handed to you as part of who you are. I probably had more phone calls, I know I had, I had more phone calls with people distraught about this party switch than I ever would have gotten if I had told people that I was actually leaving the church. Hmm. There's no question about it. Wow. There's no doubt about it. I will say that loudly and on the record. I had more panicked phone calls from people genuinely concerned about what I was doing and why I could how I could do this than I would have gotten if I had said, I just don't think I'm into this Jesus thing anymore. I just don't think I'm not a Baptist or I'm not a Church of Christ or I'm not a w I d do don't, don't think I would have had anywhere near the same hmm. reaction. It's that Cultural.
0: How intense the, was that? Was it family? Was it friends? It was, was it just colleagues? I mean, it was what, what, a, it was a lot death? of
3: consternation. The family and friends was well-meaning, but I think a lot of other folks. It was just, you know, we have to we have to take this guy down now. And it got it was it got to be pretty quickly. This, this the traditional standard partisan warfare stuff, but but kind of going back to what I was and I said I wonder to know how deep we could go because this is actually pretty. I haven't had a chance to talk about this with anybody. Good. The fit was almost, in some ways, inevitable. It was going to there was going to be a problem because at the Democratic Party's core, is what I was saying, is a belief that how things turn out for you in this country are largely determined by things that are outside of your control, yep. the yep. race you're born, the neighborhood you're born in. It just kind of it excuses away your failures, and it excuses away your successes to something that's out of your control. If you're successful and you're white and male, because of course you are. And if you're unsuccessful as an African American, it's well, the deck was stacked against you. And I just wasn't a person who ever believed that, and that wasn't how I was raised, and that's not how I was taught, but it was the pol- overarching political philosophy of my, of my party. And there was always just that tension between wanting to tell people hey, this actually is a country where anything you want to do, you can do, and I'm living proof of it. Yep. Because at every turn, if I put the work in, I was told repeatedly, over and over, by people who didn't look like me, who didn't come from my community, we're proud of you, and we'd like to give you more opportunity. I wasn't having doors slammed in my face the harder I pushed, I was having more of them given to yep. me. So the, the, the story of my life, and then the rhetoric that my party wanted me to put out there as the justification for what we were doing politically just never really matched. Well, I've I've always
2: thought one of the most important differences between the parties is that the Republican Party believes in individual responsibility and believes in merit and, and, and a meritocracy. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that are unfair, but in, the reason people come from all over the world to America is, is there's no country on Earth where people can achieve their dreams the way you can here. And you know, a, a, and I do think a lot of the... <laughs> a lot of the Democrat Party is their, the ideology in today's Democrat Party is about eliminating individual responsibility and eliminating merit, and I think about you're a black man, I'm an Hispanic man. I think about what my father said to me when I was a kid uh, about racism. And, and my dad, you know, as you know, he came from Cuba as an immigrant. And my dad said, when he, he came out of Univers- University of Texas in 1961, and my father said, look, I'm obviously an immigrant. My father had, had and still has a very heavy Spanish accent. You know my dad. And, and he said, listen, if I'm applying for a job and I'm applying against an American, and we're equally qualified." My dad said, you know what? They'll hire the American. Now, my father wasn't particularly outraged at that. He said, you know what? In Cuba, they'd hire me. That's just kind of human nature. That's the way way people often behave. And my father's answer to that, he said, I'm just going to be three times as good as the other guy. I'll make it so you'd have to be a blithering idiot to hire the other guy. And, And when you when you take individual responsibility, and it's not to say racism doesn't exist, racism absolutely exists, but how you respond in the face of adversity, and, and I think the, the, the principle of work harder, be better, be more excellent, I think that is a path that every one of us, think about what you teach your
3: kids. That's, if you don't mind. Please. I'll, I'll jump in here and say this, because there's so much, that I could say about this. And again, this is the slow burn over a career, but there's the specific policy things that came about as the mayor that made this decision, something that needed to happen, and something that became much more urgent for me. But while we're talking about sort of the underpinnings of this, and you talk about what you teach your children, that's really kind of the point in terms of The problem that I have with the Democratic Party's philosophy on this particular issue is you have to decide one way or the other what you're going to tell a generation of African American kids or kids who are growing up in tough circumstances. Are you going to tell them that your country doesn't work for you, doesn't really matter what you do, it doesn't work for you, it's not built for you, it's not designed for you, the system's stacked against you, and just hope that they don't, you know, turn to crime or turn to other things because you've told them that essentially, that's fine, that's okay, because there's no way you could do the things you'd like to do legitimately. You can't get to where you want to go legitimately anyway, the deck stacked against you, or do you want to tell them the truth? Which is, the system that we have is the best on earth for translating people's hard work and effort into tangible, increases and in improvements in their life circumstances. It just is. Yep. And, I, and, and I've told my liberal friends for many years, even before I switched parties, I said, for the ones who go around sort of bashing the country, I say, guys, if there was a place on earth where, where they did it better, where they really did convert your effort and, and your work into benefits better, why don't you live and raise your? Don't you owe it to your children to raise them there? If you really yeah. believe there's a place that's doing it better, and they don't believe that, it's it's rhetoric. But it's rhetoric with a purpose, and this is kind of where being a part of the party for so long and understanding sort of the you know the the thought behind the strategy mm-hmm. really it's it's strategy. How do you how do you convince large swaths of people, large groups that are just really holding themselves together by Identity politics and race, or how do you convince them to give their loyalty so completely to a political party if you can't convince them first that they really need this political party to help them overcome this, these horrible flaws in the system? So basically, there's well, the a,
2: Democrat Party, I think, is is vested in selling dependency.
3: Correct. And, and, there's and no question the example that that's I've true. used
2: also in my family, you know, with my dad in 1957, when he showed up in Austin, Texas, he couldn't speak English. And so the first job he had was washing dishes, and he made 50 cents an hour. And, and I've said a lot of times, thank God some well-meaning liberal didn't come along and put his arm around him and say, Raphael, let me take care of you. Let me give you a government check. Let me make you dependent on the government, you don't need to work anymore, you, you don't need to be responsible for your life, I'm gonna take care of you. That would have been utterly destructive. It would have been the worst thing you could have done to them. Yep. And, and, and it's, you know, we're talking about what you teach your kids. You know, you think about it, if you, if you have a kid in, in kindergarten or first grade who's struggling with math, how many of us will do your kid's homework? None of us will. Because doing your kid's homework is not helping, helping. the kid. Now, you may, you, you may work with the kid, you may get a tutor with the kid, you may walk through and say what you're having problems with, but you understand, you know, you and I are both fathers. Uh, ben, you're a father. You understand when you're, when you're raising your kids, they need to learn those skills, and if someone else does it for them, it doesn't help our children. That same thing is true for all of us. It's
3: absolutely true. I had a conversation with one of your colleagues, um, Senator Scott, when he... Uh, um, through Dallas a few months ago, and we, we, we had a private yeah. lunch. And one of the things that we talked about, and I said to him that resonated with him because he also you know, b- believes this is absolutely the case. And it's so right he, on Tim's with, a great guy. It's right in line um, with what we're talking about right now. I said, Tim, do you agree that there's really nobody in our community? who's achieved a high degree of success, who actually did it using anything other than conservative principles as applied to their life, I go, but why do so many of us, when we get to that level of success with these principles, pretend like it's something else that got us there? It was working hard, staying out of trouble, persevering when other people would have, had given up, and basically playing by the rules, that yep. what we called it, that got you there. but. You get there, and then you pretend like you know those aren't essential values of success and I told him i said here 's why I, I, I think that happens because there's a price to pay socially and, and in terms of being accepted yep. if you don't pretend like you don't know what you know and 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 you don't sort of excuse the things that we, we were talking about in other words, long story short is Every successful African American in this country basically got to be successful by working hard and doing what they were supposed to do. Sure, But they don't wanna be, once they've achieved that level of success, not accepted by the community at large and appear to be out of touch. And so they pretend like they don't know the, the formula. They don't know the winning formula. I just think we need to be more honest about what the winning formula is. And the winning formula ends up being exactly what the conservative ideology would tell you. It, it has to do with, Taking upon yourself the responsibility for yourself, yes. and not believing that the Democratic Party or any party is there to save you, and the Democratic Party wants you to believe—they do—they want you to believe you can't get there without them. Which you know, I there's li- there's an old saying that
2: that 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 every time I see luck, luck it looks amazingly like hard work. Yep,
3: <laughs> it's, it's very true. It's very true. So now to the policy things. So this is you know. The, so I'm bumping. If anybody who's and I, I don't presume that anyone in this room has followed my, you know, my relatively insignificant legislative career, but it was marked with just fighting with the Democratic Party about various issues. And I, I mean, we're just bumping heads the whole way.
2: Well, as mayor, you, you showed enormous courage. So there were Democrats on the City Council pushing with the radical left movement to defund or to abolish the police. And you were a fellow Democrat at the time, and you stood up and fought them. And that that that's when you and I first got to know each other. Is when you were newly elected, and I came by your office. Yep. I wanted to meet you, and we worked together closely. But the courage you showed fighting for the people of Dallas really stood out early on in your tenure. Well,
3: I appreciate you saying that, and I was going to get to that eventually about how we met and about what the you know what we've been doing for the past five years. I've been mayor, but in the legislature even when i was part of a partisan caucus i was a terrible by the democratic party's own like once i left the party they, they were honest their statements are very interesting if you read the statements from the, the state party they all say some pretty interesting things like he was always a terrible democrat good riddance we're glad he's gone it's like i'm not sure they understood what they were admitting to it's like you know but they acknowledge that it was always a bad fit but what they're really talking about is when I would be honest about voter fraud. Mm-hmm. The voter fraud that happens in our large cities in Texas that I'm aware of, because I've seen it happening to me in my own races. I'm like, I, I'm like these, there are people who are outright stealing the votes of the so, elderly, so, so as it, a, period. It,
2: elaborate on that a little bit.
3: I uh, came out very vocally and upset the party by saying that there is a systematic, in the, the large urban cities like Dallas, absentee or you know, ballot harvesting operation where people are going to old folks' homes and taking ballots out of their mailboxes and voting these ballots for these people or going and collecting ballots from these folks and if they don't like the way the vote was already cast, it goes in the garbage. Hmm. And I said that, that, that kind of thing is wrong and it upset people. It upset people in the party when I spoke out against you know, corruption in the party. Um, I, so, my, so I started off in a posture with the party that was already a little bit antagonistic and this got worse and worse. Um, so this is the slow burn. Well now i become the mayor and my whole job changes. I'm not a part of some legislative caucus where I'm just sort of you know having to be a good team player. I'm responsible for people's lives. Like I'm responsible for making the call to, to, to keep people alive and make sure that my city um, is, you know, people are safe there. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it cha- it's supposed to, it should, once you've been given that kind of responsibility, it should change you. Like, you should, you should look at things differently. And sure enough, I get tested pretty early on with this defund the police thing. Yep. And, the, and I'm just gonna break it down for a but the, cho- the choice became very simple
0: want to tell you about something that is really cool. Many of you may know this. I was an owner of a gun store for four years, and during COVID, there was a massive shortage that happened with ammo. We saw ammo prices skyrocket and people coming in that just want to make sure they could protect and defend themselves and their family, and they couldn't find what they needed. I, back then, thought, man, I wish there was a way that you could just get ammo and store it. Well, there is a way now, and it's called Ammo Squared. It's helping people just like you and I stay stocked up on ammunition automatically. Ammo is delivered on demand or automatically when you need it and stored for free when you don't. It's customizable to your budget. You can buy as little as a few dollars a month and let it grow over time or buy a bunch all at once and you have it when you need it. It's truly automatic, set it and forget it, ammo purchasing. You pick your calibers, you set your budget, you select a shipping trigger, and that's it. Ammo builds up over time, and it delivered automatically when you want it, no matter what's going on in the market, because you already own it. In 2020, when the store shelves were empty and everyone had trouble finding ammo locally or online, AmmoSquared customers just need to ship their ammo stored at AmmoSquared and get it all immediately delivered with just the click of a single button. So forget about dealing with a moving heavy case of ammunition in your garage or having to figure out how to store it or worried about prices skyrocketing when you need it the most. Check out AmmoSquared.com Ben. That's AmmoSquared.com Ben to sign up and get free ammo in your account It's Effortless Ammunition Management AmmoSquare.com slash Ben to sign up and get free ammo in your account today. Just so people know that are listening around the country, because I think it's an important point, the defund the police movement that was rolled out nationwide, they wanted it to be successful in big cities. Dallas was one of them. This was a lot of outside pressure as well from coming from outside of
3: Dallas where they were organizing well, and spending the money. I've never seen since. They didn't even live in, I don't even know where the, they don't even show huh. I, wow. they're, they're, it was a not, national yeah, campaign. Yeah, it was a national campaign with people who were, you know, rent-a-protester types, I guess, but the, here's my point. It, it's absolutely true there was a national movement, but the choice was pretty clear. If you were a mayor of a major American city, and more than likely you were a Democrat then, because I think the number is roughly 75% of the top 100 cities in America are, run by Democrats, uh, and every mayor in the top 10 before me it was Democrat, um, you really had t- uh, two choices. Um, go along with the defund the police idea, because that's where the left was, that's where the activists were, that's where the pressure was, was to defund, and defund meant anything from, like what they did here in Austin, for a 40% across the board cut to your police department for no reason, not based on any facts, just because some activists decided that sounded like a good number, the proposal in Dallas was 60, that's what they wanted in Dallas, 60%. You can either do that and be a good Democrat and people leave you alone, or you could be a sellout and a bad Democrat and not do it and incur the ire. You're looking at the one Democratic mayor that I'm aware of in the United States who said, I'm not doing that. And the result, and this is like I said, when we start to get close, closer, I mean, the result was protests for weeks on end at night against Dallas city ordinances, with amplification and bullhorns and all stuff against Dallas city ordinances. Standing on my private property, not on the street in an in acceptable protest perimeter, but like on the grass, looking in the windows with two little children and a wife, like intentionally trying to intimidate me into changing my position to defund the police and I never caved, even though it was horrible, horrible, horrible for my family. And that is when I really s- started to understand this isn't the fringe anymore of the Democratic Party. This is the Democratic and Party. It's, it's who they are. Like, this is where we are on public safety as the Democratic Party now. And if you actually believe in law and order and making sure that people are safe, then there is no more Part of the Democratic Party that is with you on that, because I, I, I'm, I'm looking for those people. I'm waiting for the phone calls from just one, De- for just one Democratic congressperson or one Democratic officeholder to say, we're with you. you know, you're doing the right thing. And here's the truth, and I've never said this publicly, but I'll say it now. The only calls I got during that entire time saying, hold the line, keep your people safe, you're doing a good job were from Republicans. And I was a Democrat as far as they knew, and there was no, you know, there's no, th- there was no reason other than it's the right thing to do what you're doing, and we won't let you know that. There was nothing to be gained politically from you standing with me publicly and saying this is the right thing to do. Greg Abbott did it. You did it. Dan Patrick did it. A lot of people just said yeah. that that mayor's doing the right thing. And so, Democrats I saw at that point were pretty lost on the public safety issue. But then on top of that, I started to see, and I didn't have this responsibility as a legislator and I got it as the mayor, I have to protect people's incomes and make sure people can actually afford to live in this city because we are bleeding residents to lower tax jurisdictions. So I started to really dig into our tax policy and seeing you know, what are we doing to help our Residents be able to live here, have businesses here, and be competitive with our local, you know, our competitors. And it turns out that we were doing a pretty bad job of actually even making an attempt to protect our taxpayers. We had the highest tax rate in Dallas of any of the the cities in the area, and we have the second highest of any major city in the state. And so, I, I really wanted to change that. The resistance that I got from the left-leaning members of our council was incredible. Yep. And the way the argument was couched and the way the strategy is to couch any effort to rein in spending at all, even to hold it steady from year to year, is being heartless and not caring about people. That resonated with me because I realized, no, that's actually been what the Democratic Party has been about all along, and what I've sort of been an unwitting accessory to, which is painting people who just want to leave people alone or leave people with more of their income to be able to do what they want to do for their family as opposed to taking it from them and spending it on things they never asked for in the first place, primarily so that politicians can have something to campaign on. We, they perfected the art of making anyone who was opposed to that Seem like they were against the people they were trying to help, or didn't care. They they, they demonize you. They They attack you personally. And so I became heartless. I became someone who didn't care about people. Um, I'll give you an example from just last week. I'm in a, I'm in the minority. I'm on. I'm in a twelve to three minority vote that I lost on my city council last week because I voted against us appropriating almost but three quarters of a million dollars to make sure that anybody in Dallas who needs tampons or other feminine hygiene products could have them from the city of Dallas. I, I said, I don't know why on earth we think that is something that we ought to be doing as a city with people's tax dollars. Well, there's 300 more programs just like that. Yep. And we add them all together, that's how you end up with a budget that grows year after year after year. We've gotten into more and more things that we don't need to be into. And so I said, I'm in the wrong party on public safety for sure, but I'm also not really into this whole just tax people to death yep. so you can do all this liberal experimentation. And so on the, matter, on the issues that were most important as a mayor and that were most important to my family, the, the Democratic Party was, was batting you know, a, a, a goose egg on those issues. And I started to think there, there really is very little reason Why a person who is a common sense, um, fiscally responsible person ought to be voting Democrat, particularly at the local level, unless there's some sort of social reason that you just can't give up, where you need to be accepted by your friends or family. And I just don't have that. I don't have that need.
1: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to twenty-five percent your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to twenty-five percent. Identity theft protection starts here. Two-thirds of Americans are at
0: risk of experiencing a blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot power generators. So go to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included for free. Go right now to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict. Healthlock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com.
2: Well, let, let's talk about that a little more, but I will say one of the greatest ironies is the rhetoric that the left uses in support of their policies. I think is 180 degrees opposite reality. So for example, the effort to defund the police is advanced by uh, movements and activists and, and billionaire donors who are embracing the slogan, Black Lives Matter. Now, as a statement, Black Lives Matter is unequivocally absolutely true. But the undeniable fact is that when you defund the police, Inevitably, more African-Americans are murdered, more black lives are lost, because for a great many of our African-American citizens and our Hispanic citizens, they live in, in more low-income neighbor, neighborhoods that are, that are more subject to crime. And when you pull law enforcement out, um, you know, we're, we're at a dinner right now. I guarantee you anyone here, if we told you, hey, we're gonna pull the cops out of your neighborhood, everyone here would say, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. But yet, we see these left-wing activists, in the name of a slogan, Black Lives Matter, removing police protections from vulnerable black families, and the result is far more African-American murders,
3: and yet they continue to embrace that same rhetoric. So I don't have to guess about it, because not only do I have the knowledge of being the mayor and knowing the crime statistics for my city, but I also have the, the, experience, the lived experience of growing up African-American in dallas in the very communities that we're talking about so i i i am familiar with this issue as intimately as you can possibly be both from sort of the policy making standpoint and just the the life experience and i can tell you i'm going to end the suspense for folks it's not i'm not guessing about it i can speak on it with authority and that's why people on the left don't even they don't even challenge me on this because they know that i'm not only my right but that I have the credibility on that. I got the street cred uh, to speak on this. The Black Lives Matter thing and the defund the police thing are kind of issues that have been conflated, but the truth of the matter is, is defund the police for sure was a construct of, frankly, white liberals who don't live in those communities at all and was never asked for Irrespective of their party affiliation yep. by African Americans who lived in crime ridden neighborhoods. Yep. Never. African Americans never at any point said we want the police out of our communities. They said we want more police in our communities. We want them to be well trained. We want them to to, to resp- you know we want we want to live in a safe community and we believe the police are part of that. So it was never true to begin with. It was a political right thing to begin with. So I want to tell you about our
0: friends over at Patriot Mobile, if you are sick and tired of giving your money to woke companies that literally hate your values, hate your family values, hate your faith, it is time for you to vote with your dollars and switch To a company that stands by what you believe in. That is Patriot Mobile. When I look down at my phone, I see the word Patriot in the top left. Why? Because I switched to Patriot Mobile. Now I get the same great service that I had with Big Mobile. But the biggest difference is every time I make a call, every time I send a text, and every time I pay my bill, I know I'm standing with a company that's actually fighting for my values. Patriot Mobile offers you dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all the major network towers, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding that left. And when you switch to Patriot, you're sending a message because 5% of your bill every month is given back and no charge to you to causes that you help choose to support. We're talking about supporting free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, our Second Amendment, as well as supporting our military, our veterans, our first responder heroes, and our wounded warriors. How easy is it to switch? Just go to patriotmobile.com slash verdict. That's patriotmobile.com slash verdict, or call them 972-PATRIOT. Make the switch and make a difference with that bill every month. Free activation when you use the offer code VERDICT. That's 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT, or patriotmobile.com slash verdict. What was the reaction of police officers when this was going down? I mean, we saw a lot of them were trying to, you know, be quiet, stay out of the politics, but you were a Democrat, you have a large police force with a lot of minorities in it. What were they saying to you privately during that time?
3: Well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one really quickly. Everybody I believe in law enforcement could not believe and was so relieved that they had the one person who in this role everywhere else in the country was caving who was standing up. They were very grateful. And it's what earned me the just enduring support of law enforcement for my, for, for my entire mayoralty because I, I stood by them. But I wasn't standing by them just to send a message. I was standing because it was, it was absolutely what the city needed. Law enforcement hadn't done anything wrong. where they deserved to, to, for that rhetoric to be thrown out around, around them and having you know, cutting sixty percent from a police department? That that's a, that's not trimming around the edges. That's salary and benefits. Yep. That's recruitment. Yep. That, I mean that's a real that's putting them in more danger. Doing already a dangerous job, and so they really appreciated that. But I, I wanna put, put a fine point on this issue with the African American community when, as it relates to public safety, because it relates to what I believe is part of, the, of why I think that this party switch of mine is, is not important because I switched parties. It's al- that's almost insignificant. But what it represents for the potentiality for this group of people who I honestly believe just have not had anybody come to them in a spirit of love and concern, who's operating from within the community, not Mm -hmm. saying I sort of exist outside of it and let me lecture you about what you should. A acknowledged and accepted and proud member of it saying, let me explain to you why we've been duped a little bit here and why what was once maybe a good idea or sounded like one has now actually been categorically proven to be a failed strategy. Well, and let, let me drill down on
2: that a little bit. Um, and this, Go ahead. This is something
3: that... that I feel pretty re- strongly about this one. This yeah. is a, this yeah. is bigger, way bigger than one guy switching. Right. This right. ought to be about people going, why am I still a right. Democrat if this is what I care about?
2: You know? Well, and, and th- this is a theme you've referenced several times that I think is really important. Um, I emphatically believe, and I think you do as well, that the policies of the left, the policies of liberal Democrats have been deeply harmful to the African American community, to the Hispanic community, that they exacerbate poverty, they exacerbate crime, they, they have, they, they throttle educational excellence and opportunity, and yet, uh, we still have, in Texas and across the country, um, an overwhelming majority of African-Americans voting Democrat, and so I guess I want to ask two things. One, you made reference to it before about how kind of culturally um, you're essentially told you're a Democrat, that's what it means to be black. I'd I'd like you to kind of explain a little bit why you think that is, and then, then the second part of it is, look, we're seeing, especially in Texas but other parts of the country, we're seeing the Hispanic community is getting more and more Republican every day. And we're seeing the African American community. I think there's some movement, but we've got a lot lo- further to go in the African American community. What do you think? What do you think is is persuasive? What should Republicans do to earn more support in the African American community going
3: forward? I think it's an amazingly important question, and I appreciate you asking it. And it's complicated, yeah. But I think if we're going to start that conversation tonight a little bit, and I, and I, I really appreciate you having this um, conversation with me. I've not ever had an opportunity to talk about it. this is stuff that I've been thinking about my whole life. Yeah, and I had it really any opportunity to really do anything about it. And I feel like I'm at this at this point in my life now where maybe we can actually see the numbers of African Americans change who mm-hmm. support the Republican Party. I think this. I think it's perfectly understandable in a limited resource environment, which is what any political campaign is or any political party is, Like resources are infinite, to say to any group that at any point in time is only throwing you 10% of their support, i.e. they're against you 90% of the time, that that's not where we ought to be investing. I think that's a perfectly rational decision. Mm that the perfectly rational decision in a lot of ways to not play the game at all, because it's not, perce- it's not perceived to be a particularly um, fruitful game, plays very easily into a narrative that, and therefore that party doesn't care at all, right? So you got one party that may be c- able to be criticized for being inefficient and ineffective, but they're telling you they care. And you got another party that might not be telling you they hate you, but they're just sort of focused on groups that produce more eff- efficiently support. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough slog when you're talking about 90-10. Yep. And so it's understandable, but it's come at a cost. What I'm saying and what I'm feeling instinctively, politically right now, is that there's, a, there's been a, a maturation that was inevitable in African-Americans' position in this country. We are better off than we've ever been. Are we as well off as we'd like to be? No, but we, we are better off. We're better educated. We're better everything. There's, anybody who says we're not better off today than we were you know, in the immediate you know, aftermath of the Civil War or, the, or during the Civil Rights era is, is just playing a game. They're playing a rhetorical game. Yes, we are. We're not where we'd like to be, but we are better than, we're further than we've ever been. What that means, though, is that people maybe have more of an opportunity now to sit back and look at things and, and ask that question of how has this approach of making everything about the community in terms of everything I do is written off to societal factors right we can't hold we can't even hold a criminal accountable because it's society's fault everything in uh, in the democratic party my experience was anything you tried to actually pin on an individual was yep. written off to society so as a mayor for example i am really deeply concerned about the victims of crime, because they did nothing wrong, the law enforcement folks who are out there risking their lives to prevent crime and to address crime, and then the would-be victims of crime that we're trying to protect, right? That's who I care about, victims, would-be victims, cops the Democratic Party really seems, I mean, legitimately seems to care more about the, perpe- the perpetrators of crimes yeah. than the victims of crimes, or the would-be victims, or the police. And I tell you what my evidence of that is, is whenever somebody does anything, the finger gets pointed at the rest of us, and we get told how if we just had built a, another recreation center, or you know, if we had put more money into the schools, this person may not have murdered that person, or this person may not have raped that person. I grew up as poor and as black as you can grow up, and I can tell you in every poor black community in this country, 80% of the people, like in any other group, are making the decision every single day to follow the law and do it by the rules. It's 20%, like in any
2: group. Well, look, the whole country saw the image just a couple of weeks ago of the six illegal immigrants in New York City who beat up two New York cops they get arrested and within hours they get released, no bail, and they walk out and with both hands they're flipping the bird at everyone and, and, and that, that to me, that image uh, of those angry illegal immigrants flipping the bird, yeah. I think sums up the, 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 the absolute depravity of the view of the left and, and, and we're seeing Look, we're seeing great American cities being destroyed. As you know, Heidi, my wife, is a a native Californian. You look at California, you look at a city like San Francisco. San Francisco is an iconic American city. In the last couple of years, 22 major retailers have shut down downtown because the crime has gotten so bad. And, And I remember Heidi's family lives in California called and they just said on the phone to her, said, well, gosh, you know, what can we do? People just go into stores and, and, you know, just take stuff. There's nothing we can do about it. And I remember I'm listening to that and I said, yes, there is. You throw their ass in jail. Like, put them in handcuffs,
3: or arrest them. It's worse than, but, but it's worse than that, Senator. This is what I'm getting at, too. It's worse than that. It's, it's quite predictable when you, when you literally change the policies in the prosecutor's office and you say, yep. we won't prosecute theft of any amount underneath a thousand dollars and then you don't just make that some sort of and it would still be bad internal memorandum. You go on the news you and you publicize tell, it. You, you, tell, you let every criminal know we're steal not steal nine hundred ninety do dollars. Is it really a surprise <laughs> that you have an uptick not even an uptick a sharp increase in smash and grab jobs and, and, and shoplifting. Again, in, in an effort to do some of these things that sound good on paper, because, you know, society is at fault, not individuals, we do crazy things. We, 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 these DAs and things stop prosecuting crimes because it's not, it's not fair. You know what? Back to that 80-20 split, which is just sort of the metaphorical split in any group of yep. people who are doing the right thing, people who aren't, that 20% just needs to be held accountable for making an individual choice to break the law and kill someone or rape someone or, or terrorize a community and we need to stop pretending like everything can be attributed to some societal factor it's just not the way it, it actually is all right we need to wrap up soon but 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 i want to ask two, two questions to close
2: one in your view part of what you you answered in terms of how republicans can do a better job in the african-american community is just Showing up and demonstrating that that they give a damn, and I think that absolutely is.
3: I right. didn't I didn't really say all I needed to say on that because it's not just about um, it's not about emoting and showing up and just saying we care. It's I think uh, having an alternative to the liberal approach. Well, and that's that that's Making where my, sure my question
2: was going to go, which is, what issues do you think resonate most powerfully in the African American community that that by focusing on those issues have a potential to earn their support by saying, look, this is an issue that is going to make a difference in your life and your family. I am deeply passionate on school choice. I think school choice is, is the most fundamental civil rights issue in the entire country. Uh, but I'm interested in your yeah. thoughts of what issues actually yeah. will resonate and cause, cause voters who have voted Democrat their whole life to reconsider gosh maybe that maybe the policies that they're they're foisting upon me are not working
3: i think if a republican candidate for president candidate for governor candidate for mayor candidate of anybody who's actually in perceived to be running for an executive type position was in charge went to an African-American community. I'm talking of people who are members of the community who are going to vote and participate in the process, people who are invested in their community and said, I'm the person who's going to come in here and I'm going to make this a safe community for you because no one before me has done that. No one, either side, this community is, you deserve a safer neighborhood than you're living in. I want you to be able to walk from your house to the end of the block and back home without being worried about being mugged or, or robbed or killed I, and you don't you know, feel safe doing that right now. I want your grandson to feel safe walking from the school bus home and he doesn't feel safe doing that right now. I want to restore a genuine sense of safety to this community. That's number one. Yep. Number two, I understand that the burden of high taxes falls disproportionately on you. I have polling from my mayoral campaigns that shows in Dallas, Texas, the groups of voters who most want their taxes lowered are African Americans followed by Latinos. Hmm. Whites are in third place because they're paying a higher percentage of their income in the taxes. It hits them the hardest. They are the most worked up about their property tax bill and would most like to see. I'm going to take that- It's a
2: barrier to entry. If you're climbing the economic ladder, it hits you the hardest on the earliest rung. This is
3: supported by Polling data it yep. will show you that hmm. poorer folks actually are most crippled by reckless tax policy at the local level in particular because there's no play, there's no game there's no playing a game around that there's no tax credit this and you know figure that out like the tax bills just do or they foreclose on the house and you just got to find a way to pay it and that's just all there is to that so high property taxes is a horrible thing of poor, poor folks. You come in and you tell them we're gonna we're gonna deal with this th- these tax burdens that you're facing. We're gonna deal with the safety in these communities, and we're gonna give your kids viable choices for schooling. We're gonna make sure that you actually have a shot at a decent education. I think at that point people are like, I don't care, wh- wh- I don't know what part you said you're with, but I'm ready to si- I'm ready to sign up for that. And you say, well, actually, everything I just described to you is right dead down the center of the fairway Republican policy. Yep. Everything I just told, that's Republican policy. I think, the, I think people will literally say, "Then well, I don't know why I've been voting Democrat this whole there,
0: time. There, but, all right, there's going to be a lot of people that are listening and they're going to want to ask this question, so I'm going to ask it. If you were up for re-election right now, running as a Republican for mayor, yes, your policies haven't changed. The only thing that's changed is a D went to an Correct. R.
3: Correct. Could you win? I'd win overwhelmingly. I don't have any doubt about it. Mm-hmm. no doubt about it. I'll tell you why I believe that. I tell you why I, 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 I'm glad someone finally asked for that on the record. That's sort of the chatter as well. Um, That's why I asked. I oh, no, you know sorry, they're going to yeah, say, "Oh, well, uh, this could, guy could, could,
0: could never win." That's why he waited till the end of his term so, to
3: then switch parties. So he, he, here, here's the reality that people have to ignore to even make that argument. But I understand why people need to make it. I mean. I told someone, I said, you know, you don't switch parties in a two-party system one or the other and think the other party's gonna say, well, you know, we wish him the best, he was great, and <laughs> it's, it's our loss. You know, they, they gotta come up with something. And this is the, the, kind of the, these are the kinds of arguments they've come up with. But here's the reality. I won my last election with, it wasn't 93%. The Dallas City, uh, you know, mm-hmm. has ordinances about how write-in candidates mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get on the ballot. And if you write in a name other than the actual writing candidate's name that's there, you just essentially didn't vote. You threw your vote, your your ballot in the trash. Of the cast votes, which were canvassed by the city and are the official records of the city, ninety eight point seven percent of the vote. That's Democrats and Republicans in that group. That's a that's a pretty hearty endorsement of the incumbent mayor. And I didn't run with a D or an R behind my name. I ran just with you know as Eric Johnson because you don't run in Texas in any city with a D or for folks who aren't from Texas. We don't actually have partisan elections in Texas for mayor, you just run. And you don't run with a party support. Now, what, what do I think would've actually happened if I had just come out and said, six months before the election, I'm actually a Republican. Here's what would've happened. Some Democrats would've gotten together and said, well, this is an opportunity for us to run an ostensibly, just overtly partisan candidate. We, we, we're going to do something that's never been done in Dallas before, which is just, make it partisan, like to say, okay, we got an R running and now we're gonna run a D against him. The, the, the problem is that the R you're talking about for four years well enough to clear the field and win with 98.7% of the vote, but that didn't happen yet, so let's just go back and say a, a Republican who's been that effective, who happens to also be African American and supported by the African American community, we think that that person would lose simply by saying, I've become a Republican. I think what happens is, is I won the first race in a contested nine-person field that it went to a runoff with 12% of the vote. I won, you know, you know, 56-44. I think that goes down to the normal, you know, pretty solid win of a, you know, 54, 53% win. But I still win, there's no question I, I still win that race because I'm the incumbent at that point. No incumbent mayor, If we've had Republican and Democrat mayors before, by the way, no incumbent mayor seeking re-election in Dallas has ever lost, ever. All right, so me, let me
2: ask a, a final question, which is you have started now a national organization, yes. the Republican Mayor's Association, and, and, and you have been out articulating that Republicans need to have an agenda for the cities, that we can't just write off big cities where an awful lot of Americans live. Uh, and, and I think that's a very important message. It, 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 it's something, and I want to ask you, what's your vision for the message Republicans should have in the cities and how do we end up with uh, a lot more Republican mayors in big cities? What, what's the path forward there?
3: I said this in the Wall Street Journal and I meant it. It's a two-way benefit for America and for our party. America needs the leadership that Republicans provide at the local level because of the, the things we talked about uh, uh, just a few minutes ago. A Republican mayor is going to is going to because it's part of the DNA of the party is going to be right on law and order issues. Going to be right on public safety. People who've asked me about that I've said, let me just quiz you very quickly. Every bad idea you can think of about public safety came from one side of the aisle. There's not even a mixed bag on this issue if it's a bad idea when it comes to public safety, you know, defund the police, don't prosecute or whatever. Republicans don't propose ideas that undermine law and order. They, not every Democrat believes them, but they only emanate from the Democrats. Yep. That's a, just a factual statement. So a Republican's going to be right on law and order and public safety. A Republican mayor is going to be right on taxes. A Republican mayor ought to be right on infrastructure spending and investing prudently. And, and there's studies that show, that have, I mean, been, that have proven that you actually have lower debt levels and you issue less debt when you have a Republican mayor versus a Democrat. When they've, they, they've, an MIT professor actually studied this and concluded that it is a statistically significant different level of debt associated with a city when there's a Republican in charge and a Democrat in charge. So we actually need Republicans running our major cities because 80% of Americans live in the cities. By 2050, that number is going to be 90%. So the country actually needs the leadership. But I'm actually telling you as a group of partisans, we actually have to pay attention to this. And I think we have to pay attention to it because I, in my heart of hearts, believe that by being competitive in the cities, by basically re-engaging, because we were once engaged. There was a Republican Mayor's Association at one time. It had a similar name. It was like the Republican Conference. It was during the Ford administration, and at some point, we just lost interest Hmm. in, in competing at that level, and it sort of just faded away. But it was very active at one time, and we were more competitive in our cities at one time. We need to get more competitive there again, because the margin of victory at the state level in states like Wisconsin, in states like Michigan, in states like Pennsylvania is the difference between performing at the city level in, you ready, Madison, Green Bay, and in Detroit and in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh by just five or ten percentage points better. So, in other words engaging in the cities in a more significant way and having the gop brand associated with the things we're talking about at the local level it doesn't take that many votes and now all of a sudden the whole state is no longer lock stock and barrel going one direction because of the of the advantage that's been run up in the cities. you've cut into the advantage that the cities have you know eric i'll tell you on on that point
2: um so heidi and i met 25 years ago, when we were both working on the George W. Bush campaign in 2000, the presidential campaign, and actually in that campaign, you know, I was a young 29-year-old staffer, uh, but I wrote wrote a memo uh, urging that the campaign consider at the time Condoleezza Rice as a VP uh, nominee, and in the course of the memo, I laid out all sorts of reasons why I thought this was worth considering carefully. But one of the things I did is I did an electoral analysis. I looked at the three preceding presidential elections and I posited a series of of hypotheticals. I said, what would have happened if Republicans had gotten 5% more, 10% more, or 15% more of the African American and Hispanic vote? So I didn't posit, what if we get 50% more? I did 5, 10, or 15. So goals that were achievable, I, I believe. And I ran through the numbers, and the one that was most, that stood out the most, was if Republicans had gotten an additional 15% of the African American and Hispanic vote, in 1996, Republicans would have won an additional 96 electoral votes. I yeah. mean, it flips the election dramatically. But to do that,
3: we've gotta compete. It's a whole different, national conversation about the competitiveness of this party if we are a factor at the city level. Yep. Because it's just where so many people are concentrated, it's getting harder and harder to figure out how to win elections where we're just not even playing there. I mean, we, we just, it's just not even, it's just, we ought to be competing in every major city where we're currently just sort of saying you know, a, a Democrat hasn't won, I mean, a Republican hasn't won there in a long time, so let's not try. We just flipped just in this last cycle. The mayor, the current mayor of, I believe it's Charleston, South Carolina, yep. is now a Republican. They hadn't elected a Republican mayor in Charleston in like 175 years. Mm-hmm. So, it can happen, it can be done. You have to run the right candidate. He was a former legislator like I was, mm-hmm. and he ran a great campaign. Now they've got a Republican mayor. So what's gonna happen next is he's gonna do a good job. And when he does a good job, these people who've been voting for Democrat mayors for 175 years are gonna say, you know what, when Republicans are in charge. The city just seems to be, it's, a, it's safer. We hire more cops, and crime goes down. And you know what, the taxes go down. And you know, things are just better. The, the brand, mean something to them at the local level and not just, the brand will always have a a federal aspect to it, it'll always have a state aspect to it, but right now, in this party, we're missing a brand at the local level. It doesn't mean anything right now at the local level, and we get to decide what it means, and I'm saying we should be running solid conservatives at the local level, winning elections, running cities well, and then that makes people at the local level go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a Republican. I love my Republican mayor, and so I'm a Republican. And that has benefits for people running for U.S. Senate, running for president, running for governor. But we, are right now, just aren't doing anything. I mean, I was shocked to find that I, there was no one even in this lane. I wasn't even stepping on anybody's toes yep. by doing this. Well, let me say,
2: Eric, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your leadership. And I appreciate your joining us on the Verdict Podcast.
0: Appreciate that, man. <laughs> Give a big round of applause for the mayor of Dallas. Thank you for coming on Verdict. Don't forget, uh, we do this show Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Make sure you hit that download, subscribe, auto-download button. Share it on social media, wherever you are in social media. And the Senator and I will see you back here in a couple of days.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family.
3: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law.
2: 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios don't miss the most important documentary about hollywood yet for a limited time watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash ben hollywoodtakeover.com slash ben